Good morning, everybody. My name is Jeff Hoffman. I am the uh, director of the Elastic Beanstalk team at AWS. And with me is Adiraj Singh. He is uh, one of my senior product managers in the team. And today we're going to talk to you about uh, how to manage applications with uh, AWS Elastic Beanstalk. So, uh, like really early, is this one of the first sessions? I think this must be, like really early in AWS. So hopefully everybody's gotten some coffee. Uh, but this is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to spend some time talking about why AWS chose to invest in something like Elastic Beanstalk, what we think it's for. Uh, we're going to talk about what it can do for you. We're going to talk about how you get started. We hope that that's really simple, so that part won't take very long. In fact, my part of this like overview is going to be really quick. Most of the day, uh, most of the session, rather, is going to be Adiraj walking you through kind of what somebody can do, a scenario, a series of scenarios uh, with Elastic Beanstalk. And we'll close with uh, kind of a discussion of other use cases you could have for it, stuff that maybe we didn't have time to address in the presentation itself in the demos, and then if we have time at the end, we'll have Q&A. Uh, you can also always find us uh, in the AWS booth on the expo floor if you have other questions, follow up. Uh, and I'll try to stick around after if we have more questions than we have time for. But first, why did we choose to make something like Elastic Beanstalk? We, we noticed at AWS that there were a number of uh, challenges that we saw really consistently with our customers. Um, especially as uh, they were first kind of adopting cloud practices or as their uh, applications were becoming more complex. They spent a lot of time managing uh, the infrastructure around deploying their code. So not just getting the code out there itself, but actually managing the infrastructure that goes along with it. Not just the infrastructure end-to-end uh, -end for the application, but the stack that the code runs on on each instance. We're going to talk a little bit about how we help with that. Um, they spend a lot of time uh, uh, building knowledge around this, this space, like building deep expertise, and that's great. Um, but it ended up being fairly specialized and, and very uh, repetitive across the organization, but maybe not uh, uh, repetitive within a single team. And uh, we, we thought there was probably a lot we could do to help them with automating some of that especially with bigger enterprises too, they, they didn't like that it was inconsistent, that the behavior of their teams was heavily dependent on how much they had individually learned. So the lack of consistency across teams was a real issue for a lot of our bigger customers. So uh, what we decided to do was make what we think is the easiest tool to use to deploy, scale, and manage web applications in uh, AWS. We think it's always supposed to be fast and simple to begin. That's one of our goals. We don't ever want it to be something that's intimidating to get started with. But at the same time, uh, we really want it to be powerful enough that uh, everybody feels like it's giving them some assistance, even if they know how to do all of this stuff, uh, if they know how to build all the infrastructure themselves, if they're uh, very uh, adept at, at understanding how to manage their stack, we don't want this to be something that they can outgrow. And uh, at the same time, we don't like to think of Elastic Beanstalk as a platform, as a service in the traditional sense, and that it's not opaque. You, you can see exactly what we're doing with the resources. You can see exactly why, well, hopefully you'll understand why we do what we do. We give you control over a lot of the uh, uh, individual kind of granular decisions. You have complete resource control, even after you've kind of used Beanstalk for a while. Um, I think you'll you'll still find that it's not something that you're you're ready to put down. And then, not to be missed, that bottom line is important. Uh, we don't charge anything for it. So, uh, other than the individual resources that you're already using within AWS, there's no charge, no additional charge for Elastic Beanstalk. Uh, what do we manage on your behalf? Where do we try to help? What we're looking at here is kind of a top-down view of an individual instance deployable unit. So that could be a Docker container, it could be an EC2 instance, but at the end of the day, these are all things that typically you have to worry about when you're deploying your code. Now, infrastructure as a service, like the, the traditional underpinnings of everything that we do in AWS, is already taking care of the host piece. You don't usually have to worry about that anymore. 
But that didn't really uh, alleviate the concerns of taking care of operating systems, language interpreters, app servers, HTTP servers, really any of the library components that you want baked in for your particular language every time you deploy your code. The goal with Elastic Beanstalk is that we manage everything there that's gray. So really all that you're left with having to control and, and manage is your code. You deploy it, you give it to us, we handle everything underneath that in the stack. Further, we also then, so if that was the kind of top view of an instance, this is kind of the wide view of your infrastructure as a whole. We do a lot of the kind of basic default stuff that you would want every time you deploy your code in that we manage things like auto-scaling for you, manage the load balancer that goes in front of your instances. Uh, we manage optionally tying in databases in the back end. So there's, there's a whole host of domain management even that we, that we take care of for you. Um, we do also offer a much more simplified version of this infrastructure stack. You'll see at the top, you, you can choose to do what we call a single instance deploy, so you don't have to get the full uh, like heaviness of a production-ready stack every time you deploy, but most of the time you do want that, that level of uh, infrastructure. Uh, we're gonna talk about the different tiers a little bit later when we get into some of the demos, um, but we do all of this provisioning for you. We even give you a domain. So if you don't have a domain for your application, uh, we'll even provide one with the elasticbeanstalk.com uh, uh, domain for you. And there's really not very many additional concepts that you need to learn to use Elastic Beanstalk. You certainly don't have to worry, if you don't want to, about learning how to interact with all of those other AWS components I just showed you on the previous slide. Um, the only things you really need to understand from a core concept uh, when you're working with Beanstalk are that you have the concept of an application, which should be relatively straightforward for everybody. It's just the thing that you want to get running. And every time you give us some executable code or some deployable code for that application, we version it for you. That's an important concept. The reason that that's a top tier kind of concept in Elastic Beanstalk is that it's very common that you're gonna take those versions and redeploy them through what we call multiple environments. You can think of these as like the traditional like dev, test, prod kind of environments, but we don't really care. We don't force them into any particular mold. We don't even name them specifically for you. You can pick names for each environment. But the reason that, that I put up these building blocks to, and describe it this way is it's important to understand that once you've given us an app version, you can actually take that and tell Beanstalk to just put it in from one environment to another without ever touching it again. You don't have to re-upload it. You don't have to worry that somebody is accidentally inserted something new into the, into the code chain. Uh, you're gonna get exactly what you gave us the first time for that version, and it's repeatable, and you can roll back the same way. You can say, oop, that didn't work. Let's go back from V3 to V2 in that same environment. You don't have to re-upload or even worry about what that used to look like. We've saved that for you as a different app version. And you can have as many environments as you want inside the concept of an application. That's really it. Those are the only kind of new concepts, and they're not really new, they're just our terms for things you're probably already used to working with. Uh, getting started is really pretty simple. There's only a handful of uh, decisions you need to make. I'll show those to you in the next slide. You can start by uh, logging in using our web console. Just like all AWS services, we have an application management uh, kind of portal. Um, there is a toolkit plugin that you can use for either Eclipse or Visual Studio. Uh, we are supported inside the AWS SDKs, obviously, and uh, we also have our own CLI. So we, we have the AWS CLI will work against us, but it's very granular. It works like you would expect all uh, other services to work with the AWS CLI. It's kind of like command by command representing our APIs. Uh, the Elastic Beanstalk command line interface is kind of a superset of that. It actually abstracts away even some of those details, and it makes it even easier to get started, and there's just a mini example there. Adiraj will actually go through more examples of using the CLI in a bit. But it, you could do a deploy as simply as just saying EB deploy. Once you have the, the Elastic Beanstalk command line set up, it, it really takes care of a lot of the details very quickly for you. When you're first starting, these are the only decisions you really need to make. You obviously have to provide us your code. You have to pick which region you want it to be deployed into. You have to choose a platform, and you can see a representation there of all the platforms that we support. There's actually more variants than this, but these are the kind of top-level uh, like choices that you're gonna have, Go, Java, Node, Python. We can deploy uh, Docker containers, either a single container per instance if you want, or we can actually integrate into ECS. You can do multi-apps uh, into ECS, multi-containers, rather. 
Uh, we support PHP and Ruby and uh, .NET. Uh, we also have the option you'll see at the very bottom there of custom platforms. So if none of those are quite what you want, you can certainly pick one of those and then customize on the fly, like dynamically at startup time. There's ways to do that with extensions, which again, Adiraj will show you later. But you can also start completely from scratch. If you build your own custom platform, uh, it's a great way to ch like change fundamental things that we don't support any other way. Like you can pick a, everything that we've shown you up above either lives on top of Windows in the .NET case or Amazon Linux for everything else. Uh, so if you wanted to do Ubuntu or RHEL, you could still do that in Beanstalk, but you'd want to use a custom platform to do that. Uh, custom platform is also great if you want to bake maybe custom uh, business-specific tools or security elements or something that you want to put in every single platform that you or your other partner, uh, like developers on a team, uh, want to have as a base, custom platform is a great way to go. You are trading some of the maintenance that we will take care of for you, so the nice part about the, the supported platforms that, that Beanstalk owns is we'll be revving those constantly, putting in security patches, putting in latest versions of the libraries, putting in updates for Tomcat, for instance, and the Java instances, if you want to use that. Um, uh, we even have a way that, again, Adiraj will show you to automatically have those changes applied, like under your code, we'll actually seamlessly, uh, uh, relatively seamlessly, update the uh, environment that your code is running on. If you do custom platforms, a lot of the responsibility for managing that is on you, but that's probably what you want if you're doing a custom platform. So that's a trade-off you have to decide on, is, is how much control do you want? Again, it's a way to make sure that we're not being opaque. If you really want that level of control, you can do that. Uh, once you've picked a platform type, you do need to choose, again, whether you want to do a single instance deploy, that's that very light architecture I was talking about earlier, or a full kind of like production-ready, load-balanced, auto-scaled kind of environment. And then there's optional steps. You can choose to tie an RDS instance to this. Uh, I'll be honest with you, that's not the most common way to tie in a database. And again, Adiraj will show you the more kind of powerful ways later. But this is nice if you want to have a, a database instance that's, for instance, tied to the lifecycle of your environment. So if you have a dev test database, you want to just spin it up with some sample data in it for testing, this is a great option because it'll spin that RDS instance up. And when you're done with that environment, it'll actually tear it down. So if it's a prod database, probably not what you intended. Uh, we'll show you the way to handle that in a little bit. But that's it. Those are the steps, and again, four is even optional, so there's really only three things you have to decide on, and you'll be deployed. Um, I'm gonna have Adiraj kind of give you a, a much richer story-based version of what you can do with, uh, with Elastic Beanstalk. This was great to kind of set the baseline for everybody, but we did want to like, get into some more advanced topics. So uh, with that, let me turn it over to Adiraj, and he'll introduce us to a our customer. Thanks, Jeff. Um, a quick sound check. Everybody can hear me? Thanks. Okay, so um, for the demo and the walkthrough, let me introduce to Rick. Uh, Rick is a 27-year-old uh, web developer. He's working for made-up storage solutions. Of course, this is uh, made-up, and uh, we are using uh, Rick as a persona to help us with some of the use cases. So he recently got a brief from his management and some requirements, uh, which are fairly loosely uh, described as of today. Uh, they have a conference coming up in six months. Uh, they're creating, uh, they want us, or they want Rick to create a website which would accept registrations uh, and which would initially uh, accept participant names and emails. Uh, his deadline is four weeks, so he needs to uh, bring this up within four weeks uh, so that people from different regions, different, uh, uh, different um, time zones can log in and register uh, so that they have enough time. Uh, scope is, is uh, diverse or it, it can change with time. They can use this website for uh, accepting feedback, uploading, uh, uh, uploading content and other things. So he needs to be careful about change of scope. Uh, he has limited resources, limited set of people, and a limited budget. And he has the most important requirement that once the website is up, it cannot go down. It should be always be up and available for people to register. Uh, and it has good potential uh, going forward. Uh, it could be used for many other summits. It could be used as a training tool and, and anything uh, and going forward. So Rick has to be careful about scalability here. Okay, so let's quickly summarize Rick's concern. 
So he has too many things to do uh, to sum it up. So he has this mental image from his last uh, project that he worked with. He has, uh, he had a team where he worked on application development. There was a CSCD pipeline that, that was set up. There was infrastructure uh, uh, pipeline that uh, had some resources allocated to it who had to write infrastructure code, et cetera. So we'll come to that again. So let's use a anxiety scale for Rick as, to start with. Let's say at, and on day one, he's, uh, his anxiety is pretty high. Let's say it's, it's in red. Okay, so let's go ahead. So somebody recommends Rick to use Elastic Beanstalk, so he decides to, to try it out. Uh, he quickly realizes that CLI, EBCLI is pretty easy to use. Uh, just need two or three commands to create an application, uh, to deploy an application, and to update an application also needs about three steps. So he's pretty excited about Elastic Beanstalk, uh, and he went through Jeff's uh, introduction, and he is looking forward and has some questions. So let's look at Rick's questions for Elastic Beanstalk. Uh, how easy it is to manage infrastructure and application with Elastic Beanstalk? Uh, second, uh, how flexible is configuration with Elastic Beanstalk? Uh, case in point, uh, what all options uh, do, uh, does Rick have in terms of database management? Um, he's also interested in knowing how the scaling works with Elastic Beanstalk. And in, in general, because he's leading this project, he wants an uh, easy way of monitoring and debugging application and any issues that he may face. All right, so let's jump in to the first question. How does Rick manage infrastructure and applications using Elastic Beanstalk? So his first concern is he doesn't want to invest a lot of time and energy in infrastructure. Uh, he, he's a web developer. Uh, uh, he wants to focus on business logic. He wants to focus on developing the application uh, and bringing it out sooner. So infrastructure is, is relatively overhead, uh, and he wants a quick way of managing infrastructure. So let's look at what Elastic Beanstalk has to offer. Elastic Beanstalk provides supported platforms. There are auto-created uh, platform stacks, which have, uh, uh, and they, are support, uh, they support multiple different popular uh, languages, including Java, PHP, Node, and it has support for contain, uh, web containers as well as Docker, and multiple options for Docker. Uh, but his interest is in Node, because he is, uh, he is building the application in Node. So let's look at what all the stack provides uh, for Node. So he has an army, uh, which is latest as of today. Um, he has multiple options in terms of languages and N NPM versions. Uh, so he wants 8.8.1, so that is available, so he can uh, choose from one of them. Uh, he, uh, he can look at, uh, he wants Nginx, so he has both Nginx and Parcher Server. So he, he, he sees that all the options that he needs, he doesn't have any specific requirements in terms of security and others, so for him, uh, this platform version as is works pretty well. But the next question that he has is, how does he do the deployment? Because he still has to uh, do manually deploy any new version which may be coming up for, for a platform. So Elastic Beanstalk has an option for that called Manage Platform Updates. So Rick doesn't need to worry about updating the platform. So Elastic Beanstalk will deploy it for you. Let's see the key benefits of this feature. Um, any bugs, any vulnerability issues that may come up in a platform version, any, in your language version, uh, they would automatically be updated, and you don't need to worry about manually updating. Uh, any latest version, any language version, or any latest army version will also be managed through uh, uh, this feature. Any features which have come up with Elastic Beanstalk or many of the underlying services that we continue to keep uh, integrating with, that would all be a part of the updated version. So let's look at some of the key features. Uh, you select a window in which you want Elastic Beanstalk to do the deployment for you. Uh, you can choose between minor and patch updates. We still want the major updates to be managed by the customer. Uh, there is no downtime because it uses underneath, it uses immutable deployments. So there would be no downtime. If something goes wrong, it will automatically fall back to the previous version. And whenever you uh, come in front of the computer, you can always go ahead and manage it on your own. Especially with Node, because there could be 
uh, dependencies which you want to manage on your own. So there's no pattern scalability because it uses immutable, so it would always have the minimum instances that you want to be serving your traffic. Uh, and it's flexible, you can always do manual update. If you are in front of the computer, if you see your latest version available, you can always click on manually updating it. Uh, one of the cool features about this feature is instance replacement. So even if there is no latest version available, you can always refresh your instance fleet. So uh, if you have five instances, let's say, as an instance fleet, and at one week there's no update available, it will still go ahead and refresh the instance, instances for you. So at this stage, Rick's like the fact that Elastic Beanstalk manages infrastructure for him, uh, but he has questions regarding application management. He has questions like, how does CICD work with Elastic Beanstalk? How does application deployment work with Elastic Beanstalk? So let's look into that. Elastic Beanstalk integrates with many uh, CICD solutions. Uh, solutions out there. Um, here I'll just cover some of the internal Elastic B, uh, AWS services. Uh, for example, AWS Code Commit, you can uh, directly use source from your Code Commit uh, repos and deploy it on Elastic Beanstalk. You can also have a mix of Code Commit and Code Build. You can also start with Code Commit or Code Build and deploy your application to Elastic Beanstalk. Um, you can use Code Pipeline. Uh, which helps you manage the code commit and code build as well. Or you, are also you also have integration with CodeStar, which also helps you to uh, have projects which you can, where you can do development and the complete CACD life cycle. Uh, so in terms of application deployment options, so Elastic Beanstalk provides many options for, uh, for different stages of the application. So to start with, Rick's concern is that he is, still at the development stage. His team is developing the application. So he, his focus is that how much um, flexibility that Elastic Beanstalk provides for a dev environment. So in your, when you are developing an application, your focus is on speed of development. Your focus is not availability. So we have um, options like rolling and all at once uh, deployment options, where in and with all at once, it will essentially update all the instances at one go. Uh, obviously at that moment, the instances won't be available for serving traffic. Rolling is our default, which essentially uh, you can define, where you can define a bucket size. Uh, let's say you have four instances and you define the bucket size as 50% or two, then it will start updating the bucket and it will have only 50% of the instances serving traffic. And once the bucket, is, uh, the bucket size is updated with the latest version, it will swap to the second bucket. Uh, so in, when you are doing testing, uh, you, your more concern is that you want to also test some of the availability scenarios. So rolling is generally a good idea um, because you want to also do some testing in terms of the availability and the experience of the customer. Uh, also, but you want to be sure of that you don't spend a lot of time on, uh, on deployment speed. Uh, however, for production, it is highly recommended that you go with one of the two options uh, recommended here, immutable and rolling with additional batches. Um, rolling with additional batches essentially spins up, it essentially is built on the same uh, uh, experience of rolling, but it spins up new instances. So you always have your uh, instance fleet always available. So if you have, let's say, four instances and you define a bucket size of two, then you, then uh, rolling with additional batches will spin up two more instances. So at, at, at a moment, you may have up to six instances serving traffic. Uh, and immutable essentially uh, spins up one instance in another auto-scaling group and, um, and it, and it uh, deploys the latest version. And once the latest version is available and, and is healthy, uh, it swaps all the uh, instances and spins up complete new fleet. Okay, so uh, these, are uh, these are good inputs, but Rick wants to give it a try. So let's go ahead and help Rick.
So Rick decides to create uh, an application with Elastic Beanstalk. This is the console. All you need to do is define the name of your application because this is one of his first tests. He just goes ahead and describes it as Rick basic test. Uh, once the application has been defined, you need to create the environment. You choose between web and worker tier. Um, you have a name already populated from your uh, application name. You can define the domain name, which I'm choosing to be the same as environment name. Um, you can choose the platform, Rick's interest is node. So he selects that. As of now, he doesn't have an application, so he goes ahead with the sample application. Um, but he wants to see what all configurations does Elastic Beanstalk provide. So he can do a quick create from here, and it will use all the Elastic Beanstalk defaults, and it will set up an environment. But he wants to see what all options does Elastic Beanstalk provide. So we have presets for low cost. If you're just trying to do testing and experiencing it, high availability will set up a load balancer for you. Um, and if you see, there are different configurations which are bucketed logically into different components. Um, and then you can also change the platform version from the console. Uh, so currently we are at the latest, so we are fine with it. We'll try out the high availability option. And if you see, uh, you would have the load balance uh, balancer enabled. And it would have the default as T2 micro instances. Capacity is ranging from one to four instances. Uh, and let's see what all, rolling, uh, what all deployment options we have. So for application, as we discussed, we have four, four options. You can choose any one of them, and once you select, then you just save it and apply, uh, and it's that simple. Um, and for configuration as well, that is a platform. You can also, if you're doing it manually, you can choose what mode to use. Uh, highly recommended that you use immutable for production environments. All right, so, so let's go ahead and create the environment. There are some others, like you can set up the database, you can set up the network, the VBC settings. We have a default configuration defined here. You can define a notification, you can set up an email address which would notify you about any updates to your environment. Once you click on create, you have this window where it gives you all the logs to understand what's happening with the environment. And because this is a video, it will quickly deploy. And we'll have, so if you see, there is, it has been successful, and this is the sample app. So this is for, so Rick is happy that he has, it took him a few minutes to uh, deploy a sample application, and, and it's an easy, easy dashboard to look at. So his application is healthy, he has good understanding of what uh, platform it is, um, and he can look into the configuration, what he set it. Um, he has a load balancer. Now he can set up the managed platform updates as well, the thing we discussed. So he, all he needs to do it, do is he needs to enable the managed platform updates, set up a window, and select what update level he wants, and instance, re, uh, instance refresh, and he just doesn't apply. Uh, because it is, uh, there's nothing, no new version available for Node, so as of today, it just says that nothing is scheduled, but once something new comes up, uh, it will tell you that there is something scheduled. So if you want to do manual apply, you can do that too, uh, or you can wait for your maintenance window. All right, so Rick's first question has been answered, uh, and let's say his anxiety scale has started to move towards green. Now let's look at the second question that he had. Uh, how, how flexible is Elastic Beanstalk in terms of configuration? Uh, So before we go get into that, I quickly wanted to introduce the concept of EB extensions. Now, EB extensions are um, files that you put in your application bundle, think, think extensions in general. Uh, you put in your uh, EB extensions in your application bundle, and which helps you to modify or customize your applications uh, or your configuration stack. Uh, you could either configure your existing configuration or you can add resources to your configuration. Uh, this is in YAML format, and it has to have a .config extension, and it should be at the root. So there are many different categories which you can use with EB extensions, two of the main one are option settings. Option settings you use when you have a stack defined, you have a configuration setting which is supported by Elastic Beanstalk, and you just want to modify it. You want to modify some defaults, you want to modify some configuration within the uh, natively supported Elastic Beanstalk configuration. If you want to add a 
uh, resource. Uh, case in point, DynamoDB or EFS file system, which is currently not natively supported through option settings on Elastic Beanstalk. You can use resources. Uh, so what this will do is, is essentially because it uses, Elastic Beanstalk uses CloudFormation underneath, uh, resources will essentially create that resource for you as part of the environment. Okay, so Rick wants to use DynamoDB, so he likes the idea of EB extensions. Let's see how he creates an environment with a DynamoDB EB extension. So he's using EBCLI. Let's let's see uh, let's see his application, what he created. Okay, so this is his application, uh, which is uh, essentially. Um, uh, it's an express framework, it's a node application, and um, it's, it's using an NPM package manager, uh, and it has an IAM policy to create and manage uh, your uh, Rick's DynamoDB table. So let's look at the EB extensions. So this EB extension is essentially creating the DynamoDB table for, uh, for this application. It is also creating an SNS topic for this application. And in options, you can define the configuration for the table. Uh, like the table that you're configuring, you're using through the reference because it's using CloudFormation underneath. Uh, and same for the uh, SQS, uh, sorry, SNS topic. And it also has the Nginx proxy. Uh, a good practice is to have, I can probably go back a little. So whenever you're using Node uh, applications, it's, it's a good practice to have uh, latest defined so that it picks up the latest versions. Uh, otherwise, you may, have, uh, you, may, uh, you may have disconnects because if you define a specific version, there could be dependency failures uh, on the platform. Okay. So, so the first command is EB init. So this is initializes his uh, environment. He can select a region, US West, and then he's, uh, I think he should create a new application. Okay. So it will, so it will pick up a default name based on the application name. Uh, and it will all already, it has detected that it's a node application, so it would confirm from you. Uh, it also has a no, uh, code commit option to integrate, but as of now, we'll just say no, uh, because we have the application locally. Uh, do you want to do SSH? I said yes. So once ebinet is done, we can do an eb create. Uh, here you'll define the instance profile, uh, because you need this special profile to be able to manage DynamoDB table and SNS topic. Uh, so here uh, it will take the default again. You can use the same or you can choose a different one. I chose a different option. Uh, it will also ask for the DNS name. It generally chooses the same as the application, uh, the, uh, sorry, the environment name. So once it is successfully deployed, let's see what uh, the application looks like. Uh, you, you just need to do EB open, so it will automatically open the application for you. So this is the, uh, this is the uh, application that he has created with, uh, with DynamoDB within the environment with using EB extensions. So he just wants to test it. He gives, uh, 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 gives an entry to it um, and assigns an email address. And we'll go and check, check in the DynamoDB table that was this entry um, assigned to the DynamoDB. Okay. So it says it has accepted it. So let's go to the, to the table. So this is the first table that, uh, that was created. Um, yeah, so we have the same entry here. Okay, so this is what Rick did. Rick essentially created a DynamoDB table within his environment. Uh, this is a good uh, setup to have if you're doing development or testing where you want to control the resources because if you delete this environment, uh, the DynamoDB table would be deleted by itself. So it's easy to manage if you're doing testing or development. But uh, if you're doing 
production or you, uh, you're creating an environment for production, then it is recommended that you have the DynamoDB table created outside of the environment. So essentially you create your DynamoDB table by yourself and connect it to your environment. The key, some of the key benefits with this setup is that you can have multiple environments connected to the same DynamoDB table, or for that matter, any database. And even if you delete one of the environments, your DynamoDB table uh, is still there and you can use it uh, going forward. Even if you delete all the instances, your DynamoDB table is still there. Okay, so let's look at a setup where uh, Rick is creating a DynamoDB table outside and he doesn't need the EB extensions uh, for creating the DynamoDB table. So let's look at the setup, uh, his application, and how he updates his application to support a, a DynamoDB table outside. So this is his existing application. What he does is he, he has this IAM policy we discussed about. He has another instance profile, um, which essentially would assign, uh, so he adds this trust.json, it essentially provides the instance profile for creating a DynamoDB table outside and accessing it through your environment. So here you can see it, it has a, a assume role action. Okay, so now he can go ahead and delete this create DynamoDB table uh, config extension. And that's, that's it. Uh, so all he now needs to do is, oh, there's one more thing. So, uh, we'll come to that a little later. So he can go ahead and go to DynamoDB table, create the table uh, for, for name, because we have to be specific with the name. Um, he defines it as startup signup. So he defines a table name as well as the primary key, that would be email. And um, once he creates it, he can go back to his application. So if you see there is this table created, uh, he can go back to his application and um, in the, in the options.config, all he needs to do is, because now he doesn't need the uh, CloudFormation reference, he can essentially uh, remove it and provide the same name that he provided for the DynamoDB table, and uh, and that's it. That's that's the configuration he needs to have a, a, a table or a database outside of his application, of his environment. To be sure, it has to be the same name. He makes the commits uh, and he does eb init. So it, now this is creating uh, an environment without the DynamoDB table as part of the uh, part of the environment. And we have the same questions. For now, we'll just say no for code commit, and then we'll do a eb create. Uh, we'll give the instance profile as we gave for the previous uh, example. So we, for now, for this example, we're using classic load balancer uh, and it will create, uh, start creating. It will takes, takes a few minutes. Um, Okay. All right, so it has been successfully deployed. 
uh, and he decides to do EB open, just essentially opens up the application just to see that if the application is working fine, and he'll do the quick test to see if uh, the application uh, uh, is accepting uh, data, data entry. Okay. So he gives reInvent 2017 test and also the email address. Okay, now let's quickly go ahead and check the database that was created outside uh, of this environment and see if this entry has been populated. Uh, so yeah, here you go. So it has that entry now. So it's, so it was easy for him to set up a database stable outside of the environment. So he has the answer to his second question now. Um, but his biggest concern is that because the application uh, scope can change uh, and it can be used going forward for many other applications or uh, use cases, his concern is that how does it scale? Uh, there could be a lot of people logging in and doesn't need to go down. So he has a lot of questions regarding scaling options. Okay, let's see what Elastic Beanstalk has to offer in terms of scaling. So we have two options with, uh, broadly two options for Elastic Beanstalk. One is trigger-based scaling and the other is time-based scaling. Trigger-based scaling, you can define the triggers. Uh, it could be CPU utilization, network, traffic, disk activity. And if you do what the, based on the trigger that you cho choose, Elastic Beanstalk uses health checks to determine uh, the status and takes the appropriate action that you have defined in the scaling. Uh, Time-based scaling essentially is useful if you are doing uh, development or testing or wherever you are sure that the application, uh, you, you are sure of the traffic. Uh, for example, if you know that you are doing testing and you don't want to use the uh, environment over the weekend, you can actually set up time-based scaling where you can take down the instances to zero over the weekend. Okay. So... Rick decides to do a load test to see if um, he can see how the scaling works with Elastic Beanstalk. So he has this application uh, which is working fine, but he wants to see how scaling works and how uh, this application works under stress. So he goes ahead and um, goes to the scaling options that Elastic Beanstalk provides. So if you see here, you have, uh, you have uh, his, his uh, environment currently has the defaults, minimum as one instance and maximum as four instances, and this is the default he's uh, currently using, but he wants to change it to CPU utilization. So he updates the scaling trigger as CPU utilization and the trigger statics to maximum so that he can test it sooner. Um, he defines the measurement period to be one, and the upper threshold to be 20. So what this will do is it will check for uh, CPU utilization above 20%. If it is above 20%, it will trigger the auto-scaling event. And for lower bound, it, it selects uh, five. And whenever there is CPU utilization for an instance goes below 5%, it will do another scaling event, which will, it will reduce the number of instances. All right, so let's go ahead and set up a load test environment. We are using uh, Locust, which is an open source uh, tool for load testing. This is an application uh, for doing load tests with Elastic Beanstalk. Uh, so one thing to note is that if you want to do load testing, uh, all you need to do is in the, uh, in the target URL, you define the URL for the application for which you want to do the load testing. So we'll update this to the environment that uh, Rick has created and uh, he wants to do load testing with. Okay. So he updates that and he does EB in it. So for this, he's, uh, this is a Java application, so he defines EB in it with Java so that he doesn't need to go through the interactive mode. Uh, 
and he defines, he, so this has to be in the same region, that's why it is uh, EU West 2. Uh, it has to be in the same region where your application is. And he does a EB create. Now, because it's a load tester, it is good to have uh, instance of a higher capacity. So for, for this test, I'm using C4 Lodge. And it needs to also define the URL, uh, which needs to be tested. Uh, this will generate uh, get requests, and uh, I'll come quickly come to that once this thing is done. And it, it uses the same instance profile. Okay. So, so it, what it does is it essentially deploys the application on Elastic Beanstalk, which essentially would be hosting uh, Locust. So you can use Locust now. So this is the environment for the load testing. So if I click on the URL, it takes us to the Locust uh, web page, and here you can set up a quick test. So I can define the number of users that I want to simulate and uh, the rate at which these uh, customers would be sending out requests to the uh, environment. So as you can see, there are the request is picking up. And if you go to the environment, the key things to notice is in the configuration, just to be sure, we have the range is one to four. So currently it's using just one instance. And as the load traffic increases, uh, it would add. So it has added another instance because if you see at the end, uh, there is a load uh, percentage usage of 22%, and the second instance is also picking up to be 20%. So there are two instances now. And if you see at the monitoring, which essentially gives a summary of uh, how different parameters are um, behaving, so if you see, so at this point, uh, the CPU utilization was pretty high, and when the new instance was added, the CPU utilization went down because it gives, gives you the average, because it got spread across the two instances. And if you see across all the other parameters as well, they would also see a jump, and when the second instance is added, the, um, the parameters will start going down. Uh, for example, the average latency, the number of requests per count, that would remain steady. So you, you, as of now, you have two instances. One was six days ago, and the other one is nine minutes. Uh, so the health window also gives you a lot of information regarding uh, the number of requests per second, um, what kind of uh, requests are coming, how many 2Xs, 3Xs, or 4Xs, uh, the latency information, uh, the CPU utilization that we are tracking with load, load testing, and the average load. And it also gives you the instance IDs for the instances which are healthy, and it also gives you the health status. So if, let's say, one of the instances is in bad status, uh, it will let you know. All right, so let's look at health again. Uh, I'm hoping that there could be another instance that could be added now, because the average has crossed 20. So if you see, it is 18%, is hovering around 20%, which is our threshold for a scaling up event. And you can also set up the time frame if you want to have a longer duration. You can, you can also always select. Uh, and you can define the, the frequency with which you want to check the status. So this is a great way to monitor your uh, health. And if you see, uh, if you see the CPU utilization, so this, is, uh, this ends the demo here. But um, if you see here, the CPU utilization was averaging around 13. So that's why it didn't take either did, did a, a, a scale up or a scale down event. All right, so he's pretty confident now the scaling works, and uh, he wants to quickly run through or review how he can monitor and debug his applications. And if you see his uh, anxiety scale is now in a comfortable zone, now he's pretty close to his application deployment. All right, so let's review how uh, Rick and his team can monitor, uh, capture logs, and set up alarms for his environment. 
So this is the dashboard. Uh, we have the health status, which tells you about where the, uh, how your environment is doing. Um, we also have many tabs which are focused on health monitoring. Health, we just saw in our demo. Uh, there is a monitoring tab, which essentially gives you the summary of uh, the, the, the current stats that you're using. For example, the CPU utilization, the latency, the number of requests. In terms of uh, alarms and notifications, Elastic Beanstalk uses CloudWatch logs. So you can set up CloudWatch logs with Elastic Beanstalk. Um, so all you need to do is you can go ahead and uh, in one of these parameters, you can uh, click on the bell icon and set an alarm. So what this would do is if, if one of these parameters crosses that threshold, it will send you a notification. So, uh, or you can take an action based on the notification. Uh, how do you collect logs with Elastic Beanstalk? So there are many options uh, to collect the logs. Uh, one is that you have a quick uh, log collection of the last 100 lines, but this only gives you the most popular or the most obvious logs uh, and the last 100 lines. You can also select full logs. Now full logs, what full logs does is, is essentially collects a lot more logs uh, and stores it in S3, but both uh, last 100 lines and the CloudWatch logs, uh, the full logs essentially uh, gets removed from S3 within 15 minutes. So it's recommended that you use log rotation. Uh, and uh, it's easy to set up the log rotation. You can go to the config page and the log options and you enable. So what this will do, do is it will automatically rotate the logs on uh, S3 for you. So if you want to go ahead and debug at a later stage, you can do so. We also integrate with CloudWatch log streaming. So you can opt in log streaming. What this will do is it will pick up the default logs from your instances or otherwise, and it will uh, stream live to CloudWatch. And uh, you can later on use it for debugging. And you can set up the retention policies uh, do you want to keep it for longer duration? You can keep that too. You can define the life cycle as well. If the environments get deleted, do you want to retain the logs? You can do, the, uh, do that still. Okay, so I think as of now, uh, Rick is pretty f confident about that he can set up the um, application and he can deploy his application to production. And his anxiety scale has, is in green now. So Rick deploys his application, and his application is live. And that's it. Yeah, so Rick is happier now. That's good. That's a good, that's a good story. I, I wanted to close quickly by saying this is obviously just a single, like, very narrowly channeled example, right? Um, Elastic Beanstalk is fairly opinionated about web apps in general, like you probably tell from the health monitoring work that we do, that uh, we do a lot for you, assuming that there are HTTP return codes that we can watch, that there's that kind of behavior that we can expect. But there's really a whole host of use cases that we've seen customers really make, make good use of. So we've got obviously really huge websites at scale that have been managed by us, um, like last year at reInvent, was it last year or the previous year? I think it was last year, uh, Royal Caribbean did a really interesting presentation where they walked through how they used Elastic Beanstalk as part of their infrastructure to scale up to uh, a, a huge rebuild and relaunched uh, consumer site. And it was uh, uh, huge, like 100 million monthly page views, I think, at peak season that they hosted from it. We obviously also can support API backends. Um, we do a lot of work for mobile backends, asynchronous workers. Zillow is another really interesting story that we've had asynchronous worker side. They do all their image processing for all of their uh, uh, house images. Um, so it's it's broader than just simple websites like we've demonstrated. But there's there's you know anything that uh, touches uh, web apps, distributed applications of that nature is really a good use case for Beanstalk. Um, we have about five minutes left. 
There are two mics here, so we'll take five minutes, and if you guys want to, if you have any questions, you can line up and ask me. Uh, and certainly we can stay afterwards for a little bit. I know they like to kind of uh, move the room along to the next presentation quickly, but I'm also happy to answer questions then. But do we have anybody that has questions in the meantime? Or at least anyone that wants to ask them publicly? Not so much. All right. Yeah? Well, we got some, we got mics here, in both, both aisles. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, hi, uh, I have a question on the security part. So if I just take this example, Zeek's website, so he's going to deploy the application in public internet. So most likely he will deploy it through API Gateway. And eventually API Gateway will come to the Beanstalk URL through Route 53. And since API Gateway cannot access anything in private, most likely the Beanstalk URL is going to be public. What are the security options? Because uh, how are we going to ensure that the Beanstalk URL can only be accessed by API Gateway? It's not becoming a public URL that anybody can access. So there are many uh, security options that Elastic Beanstalk provides. One is you can define your own SSL. Uh, you can define a certificate. Uh, that helps. Um, you can use um, anything you want to add. For API Gateway in particular? So we don't support. Uh, yeah, API Gateway is, is you can to totally put API Gateway in front of any web applications that Beanstalk manages. Right. Um, you can either have EB extensions set up to actually deploy the API Gateway and manage it as part of your infrastructure stand-up, or you can just be transparent to us. Because again, there's nothing magical that we're doing that you couldn't manually piece together within AWS services anyway. So if you have API Gateway fronting uh, the, the components that uh, sit behind you know, the, the various domains that you're managing, they'll continue to work just fine as long as you don't change kind of the endpoints. Like as long, and if you do, you just have to reconfigure the API Gateway. But Beanstalk can manage those independent deployables uh, and it'll just work. Was right that, does that answer your question? Yeah, kind of. Right now we are trying that and we are struggling to do that. So we found that uh, we actually have created, we bought a certificate from Fimentech on the API for the API gateway. But eventually now we have to make sure that the, the Beanstalk now become public, public URL. And now we have to ensure the Beanstalk URL is not accessible by anybody other than oh, the API gateway. There's like an order, like a precedence order that you have to worry about. Yes. Like, yeah, yes. that's true. You do have to watch for that because, again, Beanstalk doesn't have any knowledge of when you're enabling stuff on the API gateway side. So you'd have to, the playing with the order is important and there's a little bit of management on your side that you have to watch for for that. I, we don't have any built-in tools on the Beanstalk side that'll help make that any easier, at least today. Okay. Yeah. Uh, let's go over here, question. Okay, uh, I saw that uh, there the uh, support for .NET and uh, ease, and is it real uh, to support uh, maybe legacy.net uh, application with the custom dependencies and so on. Is it, uh, did you see this in production? Well, I mean, I don't know, I guess it's real.net. Like if we run on Windows instances, you give us the .net deployable and we deploy those and everything else from the Windows instance and IIS and everything is part of the bundled package that we manage. It's part of the, the platform. So uh, was, does that answer your question or maybe I'm missing the question? Uh, maybe a, a lot of, uh, I think about a lot of uh, custom provision and a lot of um, very complex ISI uh, that like additional not just, libraries, not just a single application, just yeah. something more more, uh, more complex. Well, your deployable can contain anything that you want. It can be have multiple applications. It can have dependent libraries. It can have a lot of stuff. And there's actually ways, even with EB extensions, if you need to do dynamic stuff on startup inside the container, you can actually do that with scripts. There are pre and post scripts that you can embed into EB extensions. So if there's like dynamic configuration you need to do, you can even do that through Beanstalk. And you can kind of, the nice part about doing it in EB extensions, you can store it along with your code base. So it actually can be managed in your, you know, source safe repository or whatever and actually be there ready to go with every deploy. So you can do pretty complex things with any of our platforms. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Do you support a scaling based on multiple metrics or it just uh, we have to select one metric for yeah. scaling scaling up and scaling down? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Yeah. Yeah, so we, we currently support only one. Um, so we have to choose the one console. of the So in the console. Right. But if you want to have multiple, let's say you want to have trigger based as well as time based, 
uh, you can set it up through uh, EV extensions or uh, I think CLI, there is some options. There, yeah, CB, so you've got, like the console is the, the simplest version. We kind of give you a very, like we're gonna hold your hand to do most of the defaults for you and it's a very simple kind of set of scaling rules. CLI has a few more options for you, but if you really wanna roll up your sleeves and do very custom configurations for scaling triggers, you're gonna wanna do that through EV extensions. And again, our goal has always been that we don't wanna be opaque, like we'll give you the full power of any of the underlying AWS services. Uh, through, a, through EB extensions, you can actually set up any huge stack of complex triggers if you want to in EB extensions. I think we even have a good blog post. There's some docs for sure that show you how to set up EB extensions for doing complex auto scaling triggers. Um, yeah, does it support scaling based on uh, target trigger? The one target scaling, the one AWS recently introduced. Yeah, that, that's a relatively newer feature which was uh, launched by Auto Scaling Group. So at, sometime uh, back, come on. Yeah, so we plan to support it. Uh, you, you could expect it sometime uh, early next year. But, okay. but I think you can already do that in EB extensions anyway. Uh, through EB extension, yes. Yeah, you can so do that today. Yeah. Because it is supported by CloudFormation, so you can use it through so. EB extensions. But when I say like support, I generally talk about native support. So it's through CLI or the console. So you'd be able to configure that much easily. Okay, cool, thanks. Right. Uh, we're out of time, but I'll be happy to stick around and I can catch the last couple of you if you have questions afterwards. But thank you all for those of you who stayed. Thanks very much for coming.